L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. That is correct. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Wells Cast. The show where I interview your favorite celebrities and I find out how the hell they became, well, celebrities. Very excited about today's episode, and I'll tell you why. Obviously, I came from the radio world. At one point, I was hosting a classic rock show in Nashville in the afternoons. And if you ever listen to a classic rock show, you know that there are, well, a few bands that get played, I would say at least once an hour. Tom Petty, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Guns N' Roses, and Poison. That's right. You'd be lucky to go two hours listening to any classic rock show without hearing the song Every Rose Has a Thorn by the band Poison. Every rose has a thorn. And obviously, from being from The Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise, is a song that I have sung on many occasions. Whether it's a rose ceremony, whether it's a one-on-one, whatever. There's always a good chance that you'll hear Brett Michaels rip out some silky, sultry, ballad-esque goodness on Monday nights on ABC from my house. Let's rewind the reels just a little bit. Yes, Brett Michaels was the lead singer of the gigantically huge hair metal band Poison. But then he pivoted into the realm of reality TV. Oh, I know you guys remember Rock of Love, which also inspired his successful solo album, Rock My World. Then the man went on to win Celebrity Apprentice 3. And now, if you've been following The Masked Singer, you know that the banana was, in fact, Brett Michaels. The man has done everything. Number one hit on the Billboard chart? Yeah, he got it. Own reality TV show? Yeah, he did it. Wrote a book? Oh, it's out now. So today on the Wellscast, we are going to sit down with the man who made bandanas cool again. The one, the only, Brett Michaels. Don't go anywhere. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Wells, it's Brett, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. You're just coming up on the screen now, man. This is great. Man, your your little studio room is pretty dope. I got to be honest with you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's a lot of gold records behind you. I'm going to put behind me my JV Soccer Most Valuable Player Trophy, just so everyone else is a little intimidated by what they're coming into. You have to. You know? I will help you put that up. I'm good with I'm good with tools and handyman work. Brett, I know that you know my fiance Sarah Highland from Modern Family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, congratulations to both you and to her on the absolute success of that show and the great acting and writing and just I took them all down some plaques yeah. just to say thanks for all the, all the incredible years and Eric's been giving me a really hard time of whether or not I was the banana the bandana banana on the mass singer. Well, it's funny because everyone thinks that Sarah is the kitty cat or the, the kitty. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to lie. 1000%. I'm telling you, I was looking and I'm thinking, I'm just going, that has to be her. And then Kitty broke my heart, broke my heart. They booted me right out of there. <laughs> kitty kicked my butt. Let me just reset real quick. Uh, on the Wells cast today, I have the man, the myth, the legend, Brett Michaels. You were doing so well on The Masked Singer, but then I feel like Sharon Osbourne really came in there and sucked some air out of the room and knew abs. She's like, I know for a fact, I have a terrible British accent. I know for a fact that's Brett Michaels. That's how he sounds. I've known him for 30 years. And then he did the thing with his hands and I knew it was him. And I was like, Sharon. Play it cool, dude. Don't out him like that. You are saying exactly what I'm saying. When I was standing in that tunnel (laughs) and I thought, man, we're rocking along here. I want to be in this show. And I'm thinking I've done everything to throw him off with the voice. Now, the social media had me at 99 to 1. It was me. But I'm like, I keep fooling him. And I got tenfold. And I walked out there. And literally, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My brain is looking up there while I'm trying to be a human banana. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, no, it's it's Sharon Osbourne. I'm screwed. I so That was my first. I'm like, she's going to know this instantly. And before I even got to the bench, I saw her lean over and say something yeah. about the way I was walking. And I'm like, oh, we are this. This is it. This is it right here. Well, congratulations on how far you went. I used to do a classic rock show in Nashville 
for iHeart, I would play at least one Poison song an hour because that's how classic rock stations work. There's like 15 bands that you play. I I love you for that, by the way. Of course. Thank you. And also like every rose has a thorn. I came from the bachelor world. Do you know how many times I hear that damn song? Every freaking (laughs) rose ceremony? It's ridiculous. Um, I'm so sorry for the pain (laughs) you had to go through hearing that every four seconds. And by the way, 105, right? Am I correct? 105 on the rock. Yeah. All right, there it is. Well, congratulations on doing so well. We've interviewed a bunch of people that have been on The Masked Singer. We did Paul Schaefer and we did Victor Oladipo. I have a good friend who's actually a a choreographer on the show. And she tells me, like, it's crazy the amount of work that goes into hiding everyone's identity, even like offstage, off camera, off set. I mean, they've got you guys in like hoodies and gloves so no one can see like the color of your skin. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. When I say this, it is the most, one of the most fun shows I've ever done, hands down. Really? But the secrecy, the the secrecy in that show, from the time you leave your house to get into the car, if they're taking you down there, you've gone on Darth Vader outfit. You've got the mask, the gloves. They couldn't even let my bird sized ankles they were like determined to cover up these shame of ankles i've got they were like you got to cover those every you walk around and it is like it literally like you're a ghost like i'm walking by people i've known forever on shows walking by crew that were out with us on the road that were light riggers and they're walking by me you're not speaking to them and you're like a real life avenger like when I say that, I'm like <laughs> Peter Parker. I want to shout out, I'm Spider-Man. And that you, there's nobody. They go nuts on you, man. They, they go crazy if you even start to talk to someone there. I mean, hearing you say that this is one of the, like, the most enjoyable and fulfilling shows is kind of bonkers because you've been on a lot of reality TV sets and done a lot of television. So what made this one so much more, I guess, fun or interesting than the others? A couple things. One... The, all of them, I'm, I'm one of those guys well, that's, I'm grateful for everything I get to do. True story. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, glad to be on the good side of the dirt after all the craziness I've been through in my life. And, and I said this going on there, everyone's attitude was awesome. Everybody was fun. Everyone treated you great. There's a lot of respect, but there's very few people that actually know it's you. So they're just treating this figure, whatever this figure is, really great. Positive vibe. Um, and of course, I'm a muse soundtrack, you know, music is a soundtrack of everyday life. So being around music was what made it a lot of fun because that's what we were doing. But it was a ton. I'm not going to lie. There's a ton of work involved, the choreographers, the music directors, everybody. But what made it, I think, the most fun for me going down there was it was such a positive vibe to the show. And then when you get there, all of a sudden, the, the fans that are viewing it are in a great mood. Everyone in the audience is in a great mood. And then I, I watch the show with my kids, and they, we love also playing amateur detective. You know, so you're part mass singer, you're, you're part vocals, part masked up, crazy outfit. But then more than anything, you're playing amateur detective, and, and that makes it a lot of fun. Interesting show. For a lot of the people that we've interviewed that have been on the show, they talk about the mask, the shrouding of oneself makes it easier to kind of be on stage because it strips away a little bit of the anxiety. You are a person who's totally used to that and very comfortable. So what were the differences between being on stage where people can see your face and performing and being on stage and people can't see your face in performing? That is a great question. Number one for me, I'm a, how are you doing, handshake, big hug, run out to the front of the thrust kind of guy. So the first few minutes of any solo show or poison show, I'm out there for three minutes hitting everyone's hand, having a blast, and then we start the song, right? The song's chugging along, and then we finally get to it. With this, there's obviously camera moves and they're doing all that stuff. The mask for me, because one, I'm claustrophobic. So going in there, there was a whole moment of me trying to find my uh, inner happy place in Zen. Then you got the mask, the suit. I lost five shredded, five good pounds every show uh, <laughs> off there. Put them back right back on after. But during that thing, I, there was sweat. The first song I did first night, my heart's pounding. The crowd's chanting, banana, banana. I come running out. I got sweat in ears, 
it, there's there's no words. And I'm looking through a banana hole that's this big. So I've got the microphone, which is blocking the already blocked view. I have no peripheral vision and my eyes and the mouth are the same little <laughs> banana hole in the middle. <laughs> it, it made it, can I say this? When I say surreal, it was a surreal experience. It was, like I said, it was the best time ever and the most crazy difficult thing for me to do because I was completely in my comfort zone, but out of it because I'm also trying to sing songs. So no one knows my voice. I'm trying to sing Elvis. I'm trying to sing all these songs low, achy, breaky heart. I'm doing uh, lean on me. All songs I love, but not songs in that I are in my set, if yeah. you know what I mean. Does this change your set now going forward? Like, will you throw in some Billy Ray Cyrus? Or <laughs> I, I have to. I got to have a little Billy Ray, and I got to make up for it because I got so excited. I said, put me, I begged them. I'm like, put me in with the fans. Put me in the crowd. I want to start. They're like, well, it gets a little confusing, and people, and I said, no, let them feel the peel. Well, that was the whole thing. <laughs> so I get in there, and everyone's touching, grabbing. I'm slapping hands, and the next, this is before the coronavirus now. Yeah. We're, we're doing this whole thing, and the next thing I know, someone's looking in the little hole like that. If you can imagine an old bad drug movie, you know, wide-angle wide, wide angle vision, yeah. fisheye lens, and they're looking in saying, Brett, is that you? And I'm going, like, I don't know what to do. And the song had already started. I'm like, holy crap, man, I better get it together now. And I, I luckily uh, went back to – pulled it all together and uh, and said, get it together. And I came back into the second half of the first chorus and caught back up with the song. And it was a, let me tell you, it was a wild ride, but a lot of fun. Well, I, Sarah and I had a, a an amazing time watching and guessing and, and kind of playing along. And uh, it just, it does seem like a really fun just production to be around, but it just gotta be like, I've done enough television shows. It's gotta be so weird to not be able to converse with crew. Um, I, I can't even imagine what that's like, you know? One million percent. And you, I'm saying this to you, you have an incredible personality, knowing, and knowing you, but knowing you like this, but also seeing other stuff, all the stuff you've done, your personality is, is engaging. And what I'm saying that for me, that's, I'm just saying that was the toughest part of this whole yeah. show was being a ghost. Like I'm walking by, they literally had to set me down with all the production and say, you've got to stop shaking people's hands and talk. You can't speak. Yeah. I'm like, because they're going to figure out who it is and then someone's going to tell someone and then you're going to be off the show in the first episode. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, that for me was the toughest because I'm friends with all of our crew we work with. If I'm on the road, I'm out there on my mountain bike, hanging out with the crew while they're setting stuff up. That was the toughest part. I saw that you have a new autobiography out right now. Correct. It's a brand new autobiography. It's called Auto Scrapography. And it just, it's volume one. So I'm doing these in volumes and really simply put, it is, it covers all the pictures or timestamp with every single story. We've got it in an ebook. We got it hard, classic hard copy. And then what we're going to do is sit in this room and I'm going to read the book and as a master, just as a track, lay it down and then have still and moving images. So it's like audible going up to the next level. Oh, so cool. it's an audio visual experience of the book. Does it start at the beginning? Like, does this book showcase you as a kid then getting to to now? Yeah, everything. Yeah. And it's bits and pieces. So volume one covers like, I went through the Malibu fire. I almost drowned in Caracas. We talked, we touch on the brain hemorrhage, which by the way, I didn't get to talk to you about last night. No idea in the world on my life, my kid's life. I never knew I'd be finishing up April 22nd. So April 22nd, 10 years ago, I had my brain, subarachnoid brain hemorrhage. They were operating on my brain West Coast time while I was playing Knocking on Heaven's Door. Wow. That, that is no lie. That is, it was happening. It was so surreal for me. Like I get a chill now. Like it was, I'm thinking I had no idea that that universe would line up like that. And so I had the brain hemorrhage and they were Whoa. operating 10 years ago to almost the minute of when I was singing the song, playing the piano, singing, knocking on heaven's door, looking at Sharon. And 10 years ago that night, last night, they're operating on my, my brain bleed to save my life. Was there foresight in that? Were you like 10 years ago, I may, may or may not have lived. I want to play a song that showcases that none of that went into it it just happened to yeah. all line up when i say for real you know people say that i mean it 
organically it all lined up like no one ever discussed that with me meaning no one ever had that this is going to go to there and know that it was a wednesday night like it it just all lined up and then people started putting it together yeah and i'm like wait a minute this is unbelievable that this is happening and then almost to the minute it went on it was it was a wild it was a wild surreal moment for me that's crazy dude and then in the book again going back to that and i thank you for asking me on this it, it covers everything, but I wrote it all myself, hand wrote it, wrote out the notes, did everything and tried to match every picture to take people on a real journey, like a real, you'll feel it. When I, I got held up at gunpoint when I was 16 years old, me and my three buddies in the band went somewhere to party. And, uh, and we, uh, two people, uh, that put rifles to my head thought we had robbed their house. True story. And then all the guys verify it verbatim. I said, just tell your version. And I talked my way out of dying. Literally. Like I literally negotiated with them. They thought we had our stuff in the trunk of my car. I said, and his hand was shaking, you know, his hands like this on the rifle. And I'm thinking that I know that gun and that thing is going to go off. And his adrenaline was jacked up. True story. And I said, I got, I don't want to say I'd be good in a firefight, but I was good in a firefight. I got calm. Yeah. And I said, please put that gun out of my head and set it down and look at everything in this car. But all these stories in the book, there's pictures of the uh, I hate to say it, but uh, my uh, 70s style rocking wardrobe. You'll have to. I mean, it's most of the book is a good laugh, a lot of self-deprecation and just funny stories and facing adversity. It would have been weird if you had started singing "Knocking on Heaven's Door" during that encounter with the guy with the rifles. It, yeah, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> there, there was a lot of other things going through my brain, but yeah. singing a song right then wasn't one of them. I don't know if anyone told you, Brett, but what the the idea for this show is? It's an origin story show, so I think it's really interesting how uber successful people were able to get to where they are now, and a lot of people know kind of the story, I would assume a lot of people know the story from Poison to uh, Rock of Love to Apprentice to now doing Mass Singer. But I wanted to kind of go through, how did you get to the Poison days? I was wondering if we could go back and, and, and hear that story. And I guess this is kind of gonna be probably like almost like a Cliff's Notes version of your book. So if you like any of these stories, then you might want to delve a little bit deeper and buy the book. But the deep dive on this is, thank you for asking this for real, because that that's the moment I, I say to everybody, you know, back then, again, and I'm saying this, you when you're coming out as a starving musician, when you're coming out as a band, you have to make that commitment. I'm a thousand percent guy and you got to bet on yourself. I, People use that word, but I mean that word. You have to bet on you. And at the same time, you're an artist. Here I am on the East Coast playing five sets a night, three sets a night cover songs. And we try to slip in a few originals, but no one's playing the songs. No one's doing anything. So we made our move to the West Coast, which at that time on the Sunset Strip was given opportunities for bands like us. But there was a lot of pay to play and all this other stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. I say this to everybody. One of the big arcs is in the story is you, besides betting on yourself, you've got to find a way. Surround yourself, hopefully, with great friends, and you go out there and the great people that all have the same mission, if you're not a solo artist, have the same journey. And then we found every way we would go. And when a lot of the bands, a lot of the bands in L.A., would worry about renting a limo to drive up to the Troubadour, which is cool. They're trying to make it look big. That's great. But then you go inside the Troubadour or the Roxy and there's seven people. Yeah. And, and so we were the opposite. What we would do, we lived it behind a dry cleaner and all of our money then went to making flyers and we couldn't afford the good colors like white and canary yellow that were expensive. So they gave us boatloads, skids of green flyers. And that's literally where the poison green merchandise that a lot of bands use now is called poison green merchandise color. We got flyers no one wanted and we put them everywhere and it ended up becoming our trademark. And when you drove by them, you'd see them up and you knew we were playing. So we would pull up in a windowless Chevette. And when I say a band that barely ran <laughs> and push our gear in there, we were our own crew. We were our own catering and our own band. So but never once during that struggle, never once during that struggle did we ever think of giving in. And I just looked at it like these, these are truly my college years. This is paying my dues 
And we just found a way to get it done. When you look back, because I have that same thing too. Obviously, I wasn't in a gigantic band, but I have those paying my dues memories. And maybe we all have revisionist history. I don't know. But I look back on those years when I was like waiting tables and like moonlighting at radio stations, making like no money. For whatever reason, I look back at those as being the best years of my life. Absolutely. I just add to that. I never knew anything was bad. And I think that the attitude, I'm a gratitude guy. I'm, I'm grateful. I have gratitude is my attitude. I'm thankful. And I think that with yourself, the reason for your success is the same thing. I look back at those years and Nate, although they were hard times or you would consider, I was living, if there was a below the poverty level, I went one level below that. Yeah. When I say we live, we lived at the back half of a dry cleaner because our gear fit in there. Right on, we were down on Palm Grove Avenue and down in Washington, and we didn't care. We did everything we could to practice in there, rehearse in there. We'd pick up odd and end jobs. And I can tell you what, I, I learned all my cooking skills by working at Bob's Big Boy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not making that up. I can, I can cook up. I was good with the dishes and uh, a good fry cook. I wanted to go back a little bit further. You grew up in Pennsylvania. Is it true that you grew up? either in or near a town called Mechanicsville? Yeah, Mechanicsburg. Yeah, I grew up I grew up in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, but I was originally born in Pittsburgh and Butler. Mm-hmm. And my dad was in, uh, he's a veteran, he was in the Navy. And we got relocated to the Inland Naval Depot after he came back from uh, his service overseas. And uh, and then we got relocated there and made our life in, in both Mechanicsburg and uh, Pittsburgh or Harrisburg, I should say. Mechanicsburg sounds like a fictional town from the movie Cars. I'm amazed that that place exists. It seems very blue collar, kind of salt of the earth, people living there. You decided to do something that I assume not a lot of people in that town decided to do, which was pursue music. Was that a tough sell, like on your parents and in your family and your friends? Yeah, there was a couple things going on. So six years old, I get diagnosed as diabetic. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, insulin dependent, five shots a day since I've been six years old till right here standing talking to you. And we that was number one. My dad, Naval Depot, and all of us, to everybody there, music wasn't a bad thing. People love listening to it. But because a lot of bands didn't make it, when you said, hey, I'm going to become a musician. We're going to go to LA. We're going to make a record. It's going to be great. And a career of it. It wasn't like people go, Oh my God, that's great. They thought that's a great hobby. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted a real job, you went down and got a job on the docks. You went down to the Naval Depot, got a job. You went and worked at UPS or Kenny shoe, whatever, whatever was available for a job. Right. And, and I think that that is one of the, the true battles is again, not just, betting on yourself, but believing in it to receive it. In other words, I had to vision it. And then I went and sold everything I owned every from skis to, I had, uh, I love motocross. So I sold my favorite dirt bike, you know, sold my car and that, that was worth all 200 bucks and you know, all that stuff. But I never, never had a doubt. We loaded that stuff in a van and we drove to California, figured it out piece by piece with Bobby and Ricky and Cece, myself, and a guy named Matt Smith, and we made our move. So you get out here, you're printing these flyers on this cheap green cardboard paper. From Sir Speedy. From Sir Speedy. <laughs> you're you're a line cook at Bob's Big Boy. Was there a paradigm shift? Was there a point where you were like, oh, shit, this is working. This is going to... This is going to happen. Was there a moment? I know the moment you're looking for, but it goes a little further in. So here's what happened. Here was the blessing of all of this. We played everywhere. We would sell out everywhere. We played two nights at the Palace. Plays clubs that were unheard of for a local original band with no record deal. Mm -hmm. Then we play a place called the Country Club out in Reseda, California. We sign a deal as us as the record label with an independent label called Enigma and Green World at the time. And we make the album look what the cat dragged in. And we're talking no money. We slept in the studio for the week that they would let us there. Um, we recorded the songs almost live. And our signing day, when everyone else was talking about limos and jets and this and all this stuff, we were setting in El Segundo, California on my butt on the ground, shrink wrapping and packing our albums and cassettes into boxes to ship off as an independent band. 
here was the beauty. We kept all of our publishing. No one wanted any of the publishing for every rose or any of our songs. Wow. That none of them thought they, these are the exact words um, from many labels. We just don't hear the nucleus of any hit on any of these songs. So here's Talk Dirty to Me, I Won't Forget You, Every Rose, Something to Believe In. None of them were going to make it. We were a, a great band for the strip, but that was it. And here we are 31 years later. But the beauty, we got to keep all of our publishing. And we owned our content, and it ended up being a, a really great blessing. Most bands, as an artist, you're starving. You'll sign away for a limo ride and a good leather jacket. Most deals got signed for that, and then they owned all your stuff. For us, we just, again, went back to this. Bobby and Ricky, CC, myself, sit down and said, let's just bet on ourselves, because the money they're giving us is a bad loan anyway. we got to pay it back. And we're starving already. Let's just starve till we really make it. When you really make it, then are you guys like, all right, now we can get the leather jackets and the limos, or are you still <laughs> doing it pretty blue collar? No, we we ended up, ours was, our dream wasn't so much a limo. Uh, our dream was more to get on a tour bus and tour the country. Yeah. Like, actually, I, I, I'm not selling you on this. I'm telling you the truth. Playing music to this moment is still the most exciting thing for me, man. I get to play and I got to travel and then a few leather jackets in there, a lot of insane parties. But luckily, uh, luckily along the way, we were traveling and doing what we loved. And, and But our crossroad, true moment in life, and this is in the book, this is the crossroad. We played, we were playing nightclubs and breaking. We got to play Texas Stadium. It's on the I Won't Forget You video by Poison. So here's Paul Stanley on stage from Kiss playing with us. Steven Tyler smacking me in the back, wishing me luck on the way to the stage. The guys from Boston watching this show, and we're filming the video for I Won't Forget You in front of 83,000 people. And I'm like, this is surreal. It took me three songs to even get air into my lungs because I was so nervous. And then when we got done, I partied like a rock star. I'm not going to lie. I threw down. It was good. But I've never been rude to anybody, always treating the fans great. I partied with the fans like a rock star. And probably 12 hours from then, we were driving through, I believe it was Carlson Corner, either New Mexico or Texas, to another show. I'm making this up. We pull into a truck stop. I get out. I'm like, man, we are rock stars, 83,000 people. This is awesome. We walked in like the Bob Seger turned the page. Yeah. There was about five <laughs> truckers in there a couple maybe a couple people looked at us like who the hell are you guys and what are you doing here and it was the best moment of my life it leveled it perfectly it if there was ever a moment of me thinking this is going to happen every day it gave me a perfect balance to my life and i took that and that became every rose has its thorn so it was a perfect moment so that was the moment that you decided to write that song that well, that in a broken heart, but yeah. I'll get into that. It was right at that time. It was the uh, putting the uh, the dimes into the old payphone mm-hmm. and uh, waiting for my three pieces of clothing I owned to dry. And then uh, that phone call was heartbreaking. Got on the phone. I heard another guy's voice in the background in the apartment we lived in, and that for me was my uh, that was my true heartbreak moment. But from it came a decent song. <laughs> Was her name Rose? <laughs> it was not Rose. Oh, okay. No. We have um, a connection. I lived in Nashville for a very long time. I was in radio there, and uh, I, I saw that you have a kid that goes to Belmont. Yeah, that's correct. Are they musicians, I assume, or work or doing music business? Yeah, a couple things. First of all, love Nashville. Bought a ranch there off of Brick Church Pike. Lived there for the longest time. It is truly a music city, and... Um, I know University of Mississippi too. Am I not cor- am I yeah. correct on that? Howdy, toddy. Yep. So I'm saying I'm just saying that mixed with Nashville, I love it. I'm still down there all the time. My oldest daughter, Rain Elizabeth's now of all things. You ready for this? Is my comeuppance as a dad? Yeah. She is now Sports Illustrated, one of the models of the swimsuit models of the year. Yeah. So mixing that with Belmont, she's very intelligent young lady, and uh, and so is my youngest daughter, Georgia Blue, is a songwriter. So we go back, and she wrote the song Unbroken with me. If, if fans have a chance, check it out. It's a beautiful song, especially right now, facing the adversity we're going through in the world. So they could check that video out, uh, just called Unbroken with Brett Michaels and my daughter, Georgia Michaels. But 
the truth of the matter is they're, they are great kids. I hope I've given them enough positivity and strength to navigate through life. You know, because eventually you got to, you protect them as best you can, but eventually they've got to come into their own. And I hope I taught them with their gut to know what to do if something goes bad. Listen, if you go to Belmont, that means you are a phenomenal uh, singer, but probably more importantly, uh, it's it's a place that just creates amazing songwriters. Uh, a lot of my friends went there, looping back to Every Rose. When you wrote it, did you know it was going to be a hit? No. Here's the craziest thing. You ready? This is why you're great talking like this. This is the truth. When we wrote that song, when I sat there and wrote it, I wrote it after playing. I would tell our band, never, never pigeonhole us. Let's go play everywhere. And we went and played a, a country bar. We played a honky tonk yeah. in Dallas. And that's the night I made the phone call. This was a true story. And we wrote this, we wrote, the place then was called The Ritz. It was like a country bar, right? And we went and played it and you played two stories up. So none of the people on the ground even saw us. We're just up there playing rock music. <laughs> and then when we finished and they kind of looked up, waved and went on about their way. And I went back, made the phone call, broke my heart. That's a horrible feeling, by the way. Heartbreak, it, it's indescribable, man. That feeling of you know, and mixed with you're pissed off. It's is a lot of stuff going on. Luckily, music is therapeutic to me. Wrote it on the acoustic guitar, no lie. Wrote every rose that night, and then we took it to the label, and they bumped it down to maybe like a fifth singer. So here's us as Sweet Cyanide Music. We're taking it to then Capital. Yeah. You know, our first independent record blew up, sold like three million copies. They're like, eh, I don't know, man, you're crossing country with rock and it's sad, Poison's a party band. And then we said, no, we're not going to be pigeonholed and what to do. And so nothing but a good time came out first. Record sold 2 million. Fallen Angel went to 3 million. And then we released Every Rose Has Its Thorn as a role. It was just a, one of those throwaway songs. And it became Dallas, of all places, the Eagle and the country station played the song. And then it became the number one of our first number one songs. Did people try to have you record it not as a ballad? No, they tried that in our first independent record. I got stories. I I would put you to sleep, but I promise you they're exciting. I almost got in a fist fight with the guy trying to produce our first album. <laughs> he wanted Talk Dirty to Me to become a ballad. I'm like, what are you talking about? This song is just badass, straightforward, groove hook. You know what I mean? Almost a little bit punkish in a sense, yeah. right? And, and that didn't go well. So he was out and we just did it ourselves. And then, but, but that fighting spirit is good. You got to have it, you know? Yeah. And then we, uh, with every rose, they, I don't even think they cared. I'm not saying they did. They hated the song, but I don't think they cared. They're like, ah, it's kind of a crossover country rock. Like it's like a new Eagles. We're not, we don't know what to do with this yeah. thing. And everything then was just straight up rock songs, you know, that were going out. And uh, so that was it. We put it out and the fans, I'm thanking them for people, everybody, pop, rock, country, relating to that song and helping to make it our first number one song. Yeah, I know. I, I think one of the takeaways of that story is because it happens in every business where you'll have people that are above you that are supposed to, quote unquote, know more than you do. People can give you bad advice and think it's good advice, if you don't stick with your gut and stick to your guns, then you could miss out on, I don't know, that, that song's massive. You could have missed out on such a massive song, but you stuck to your guns, right. and here we are now. Here we are having this conversation yeah. and sticking to those guns. I'm going to say this. One time when we have like seven hours, I will tell you the every moment of my life is a roses and thorns moment. It is a crossroads. So doing going from there, jumping forward to, to Rock of Love, I don't even want to begin to tell you because I didn't know how to do Hollywood speak. Yeah. You know, I didn't know, run it up the flagpole, circle a wagon, put a pin, balloon drop it. Yeah. I didn't know what any of that meant. And I'm on a focus group conversation about my show who was, again, everyone thought it was fun, kind of funny, great. We'll throw it against the wall, see what happens. So I just took the same thing. I took it by the horns and I said, let's work with then Chris Abrego and Endemol and everybody that was working on that show, Mark, everyone. I said, guys, please just let this be what it is. Let's not focus group this thing. 
you know, my advertising, instead of going to the big stuff, they wanted me to go along Jones Beach and hand out beach towels to people to tell them to watch a show. I go, I don't, I don't think that's a really good idea. I'm yeah. not going to do that. Well, why don't we just go and talk to people, let them know it exists. And then it took on a life of its own. Again, like every rose, yeah. I thank the viewers. But again, I tell people, stick to your guns. Just stick to your guns. Not that they meant harm. Yeah. But that that I don't think handing out beach towels was going to break this wide open. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I mean, you've you've played in front of, you know, 80,000 people in Dallas or whatever it was. And then you go and you make this this television show that is, for lack of a better term, a cultural phenomenon. Like people love that show. Um, What were you what what brought you more joy being a television star or being a rock star? It's. Number one, I say this to everybody, music is my first love. Yeah. And I am glad that it launched me into the ability to do reality. My acting skills are never, my true acting skills are never putting De Niro out of work. I'm just saying my acting skills leave a lot to be desired. The first night we did Rock of Love, I said, guys, please don't make me script this. Don't make me take it over. Let's just make it a party. I'm not going to tell the girls I love them. I don't love them yet. They don't know me and they don't love me yet. Yeah. You know, so I pull up in my Harley. I take the helmet off. I throw it in the ground. I said, let's go in and get hammered. <laughs> let's add a little tequila to this party and let's see what happens. First episode, night one, one of the girls I liked, her name was Laura, I believe. And she goes, she goes, I, I can see she wasn't having a good time. I said, is there a problem? What can I do? She goes, I'm not really into this. I go, you mean the show? She's like, no, no, I'm not really, 
I go into me. She goes, I'm not into you. I'm not, I'm not attracted to you. Can I be honest? And she wasn't making it up. I go, heartbreaking, but okay, that's real life. And from there, the show, I said, they literally said, you want to edit that out? I go, no, this is real life. Let's let it rock. I said, broke my heart, but I'm good with it. Let's go. It's happened many times before. Yeah. I said, let's just rock. And she just goes, you're not my taste. I go, I, I got you. Yeah. I got you. So that was it. And Rock of Love was born. And I said, let's do stuff. The girls, they're fun. They're intelligent. They're beautiful. Let's go race dirt bikes, lingerie football. Let, let's go ride horses. We went and did all this crazy stuff to win a date and it, it made it a lot of fun. I'm running out of time, unfortunately. I could talk to you forever. I got you. Okay, so I've now done both too. I've done reality where the prize is, is love effectively. And then I've done competition style shows. It's a different beast. It, your intentions and what you're trying to do are completely different. You go on Celebrity Apprentice, you win it. What was that experience like in contrast to your own reality dating love show? Couple things. Great question. Going on to Apprentice, and I'll go straight to this. I wanted to do the show. I wanted to show people you don't get here by being lucky. You you may get lucky one time. You may get your foot in the door, but well, staying in the door, staying in the door, that's the battle. Meaning, I, I want to stay at the party. I want to rock. I want to continue. This is what I live to do: to be creative and then turn it into something. In other words, there's a lot of really really great people out there have great ideas. I mean that. The problem is when they hit the wall, they give up. You can't give up, man. You've got to stay in the fight. And and so when I say that, I wanted to do Apprentice. So we stopped down doing, here I am doing Rock of Love, highest rated show on VH1. And I said, stop this down. We're going to go do this. Then we finished that up. I came back. We got to do Rock My RV, Life as I know it with my family and kids. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of craziness going on, but two completely different battles. Like when you're doing Apprentice, you're, you're all smiling at each other, but at the same time, you're helping your team, but eventually that's going to fold in on itself. If you're there near the end, the people you that were your friends you were fighting with, you're now fighting against. Yeah, You know what I mean? To, to win it. And, and so that's what happened. And, and I say this, I'll, I'll leave it on this. I know we're running out of time. The, the, the true battle of staying in that is, and I say this, I'm the only apprentice of all those years that ever still had a real product with Tropa Rocket with Dr. Pepper Snapple that's still on the market, but that wasn't out of luck. That was going there, discussing it. And what you want to do is surround yourself with good people and good partnerships. And, and, and then in the end of the day, you don't want to end this battle by ending up being bitter. I, I don't want to be bitter, man. I want to have a great time. If there's people in my life that are great, they stay. If there's people in my life aren't great, they got to go. Yeah. And that's the only way you can do it and, and surround yourself with awesome people. Brett Michaels, there's one common denominator of every guest that I've had on this show, and it is the energy that they bring into the room, or in this case, the Zoom, is so tangible and electric that it completely changes my day. And I know that's not that important, but it is, you know, we're quarantined, we're stuck, and everything's kind of weird, and we're in this flux. And then I get to sit down with someone like you, and it completely uplifts me, and it gives me all this energy. And it, it's one of those things where, like, I totally get it. After all these conversations and talking to you, it's like, I totally get why you're successful. It makes total sense. You're a wonderful guy. You are super passionate. You're extremely energetic. And... I think that at the end of the day, if it's a job, you want people to want to work for you or with you. And I could totally see that in you, man. So thank you so much for being on this show. And right back at you, same thing to you, Sarah, both of you. Congratulations. I mean that for real. Awesome. And, and thank you all for bringing a lot of great laughs to my life and, and their show and you. And last but not least, I know this, you're a pet fanatic like me. Oh, yeah. So let's honor off the air. Let's figure out something to do with my Life Rocks Foundation and you, and I will make a donation with you to somebody great. If you're still working with Nashville's Humane Society or mm -hmm. anything like that, let me know. We'll do something great together. I would love that, man. Yeah, let's let's keep the dialogue going after the show. Before I let you go, was there anything that you wanted to talk about or promote that I didn't ask you about? No, I just want to tell everybody, stay safe, stay healthy. And one thing, when we can get back on the road, back out on the road, when it's healthy and safe for the fans, the bands, the crew, 
We'll continue this stadium tour. We're going to make it great. And I am, again, I'm a grateful guy. So thank you and thank all the fans for all the awesome years I get to do what I love to do. And uh, three generations, maybe even four generations of them now uh, out there rocking with us. So, so thank you. Thank you, Brett Michaels. You rock, dude. Enjoy the rest of the day and we'll talk soon. You do the same. I'll talk to you soon. See you, buddy. Bye. Dude, could you like, it's one of those things. It's just so funny to me when I, when, after you talk to these people and you're just like, oh yeah, totally. It totally makes sense why Brett Michaels is famous. It absolutely makes a hundred percent sense that that guy was successful. And you know, like pull away the, the headband and the rocker. If guy got into a room with him and he pitched me on something, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it right now. How much money do you need? You know, cause he brings that energy and that was just so cool, man. Super inspiring. So thank you, Brett. Uh, I didn't get to do rapid fire question, but I wanted to be respectful of his time. So we bailed out early, but um, I got a feeling we're going to have Brett back on the show soon. All right, guys, uh, be safe out there. And you know what? Don't forget, sometimes the biggest heartaches, mm, getting cheated on by your lady and finding out in a Texas roadside gas station can cause the best things in the world to happen to you, right? Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings for the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.